Okay, open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 13. And Lord, as we open your word, would you so graciously open our hearts to whatever you've got for each one of us today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. We're talking today about the price of disobedience. Would you say that with me, please? The price of? Here's a question. Do you fear God? What do you mean, Steve? Well, I'm not talking about cowering because you're afraid he's going to hurt you. But when I talk about the fear of God, I'm talking about you love him so much. It would just break your heart to be disobedient. You would just quake to tell him no. That is the fear of God. And the greatest problem that I have is not with the devil or other people or folk in the church or things going on in our nation. The greatest problem I have are those times I have chosen to disobey the Lord. How many would be honest and say that you have disobeyed the Lord even deliberately? I have. And when I disobey the Lord, and when you disobey the Lord, I got a problem. I got a real problem. I got a big problem. And so this is what we're going to talk about today. Now, I want to give you some background information because the Bible is all one story. It's the most exciting adventure, and it's life-changing if you will give yourself to it. Now, let me set the stage. In 1 Kings, we have Solomon dying because of, as an old man, he had 20 years of serving the Lord in his last 20 years. He drifted away from the Lord, and his heart got bad. How bad? Really bad. It got so bad that God sent a prophet one day to a young guy, part of his administrative leadership team named Jeroboam. Everyone say Jeroboam. Charismatic, natural leader. People just noticed him when he walked into the room. And he had an opportunity to become a superstar for God. And he blew it. God sent a prophet one day that met him on the job site. And the prophet took off his new robe and he tore his new robe into 12 pieces. And he gave 10 of those pieces. How many pieces? 10 of the pieces which symbolized 10 of the 12 tribes to this new dynamic leader. And because of God's promise to David, David's family would re retain two. Now, look at the map. Everyone look at the map. Can you see it? Starting at the top. I want you to pay attention. I want you to learn. You have Asher in green at the top near the coast. Then you have the tribe of Naphtali. Then you have a little uh, clan called Zebulun in purple. See it? Then you have Issachar in red. Then you have the huge tribe of Manasseh East and Manasseh West on the other side of the Jordan. 
Then you have also on the coast, Dan. You see Dan? Hold your hand up if you see Dan. You see Dan? And then beside Dan, you see Ephraim. Under Ephraim, you see Benjamin. And then on the other side of the Jordan, Transjordan, you see the tribe of Gad and the tribe of Reuben. How many tribes are those? Remember, the answer is always on the screen, third grade level, okay? I can't get any lower than third grade level, okay? And so there's two left, the big tribe of Judah and the smaller tribe that's in, surrounded by Judah called Simeon. There's the 12. And this was a penalty for Solomon's disobedience. Now, the, this new guy, Jeroboam, has got a problem. The nation has been split because of Solomon's wicked choices and his gradual drift. And I want you to look. So now the nation, instead of one nation, now there are two nations. Israel in the north, ten tribes, and what's in the south? Judah in the south. Now here's the problem. Every year, all Jewish males were required to go to Jerusalem to worship for three of the seven feasts every year. So Jeroboam realizes he's got a problem. The one temple is in Jerusalem. And if he lets millions of his new citizens return to Jerusalem to worship, they're going to encounter God and they're going to think, maybe we need to get rid of this king. So he's got a problem. And he thinks logically. And he comes to the wrong conclusion. A bad conclusion. Now, the Bible is history. Every date is correct. Every location is correct. Every story is correct. This happened in 930 B.C. So, he makes a decision out of this emotion called insecurity. Everyone say insecurity. Have you ever been insecure? I have. I still can be from times, time to time. Don't get your security in your intelligence, your age, your wealth, or your looks, because it's all vain. Learn to get your security in who you are in Christ. That will never fail you. When you are struggling with insecurity because you think you can't, you're not smart enough, you're not quick enough, instead of turning to God... He turned to himself. And when you make decisions based on being insecure, you're going to make wrong decisions every single time. So you see the two nations. And so here's the problem. He understands every person on earth throughout history is going to worship something. Is that true or false? Every culture, people worship something. Even if you're an atheist, you worship atheism. You worship self. We are created by God to be worshipers so you would be drawn to him. And if you're not drawn to the true God, you will be drawn to something else. This is a man worshiping his ancestors, which is Buddhism. I love my ancestors, but I don't want to worship those rascals. Here's a pharaoh worshiping the what? Sun. Here is a Hindu woman who's worshiping a tree. And Americans, what do we worship? We worship money. 
Most elections, most jobs, even church decisions, if you make decisions based only on money, you are in a weak position because here's what the scripture says. Repeat it, please. You shall have, one more time, you shall have what? No other gods before you. If you put your children before God, you're going to be in trouble. If you put your career in front of God, that's idolatry. If you put your hobbies, your beautiful car, your garden, your love of deer hunting before the Lord, that is called idolatry. And you're going to miss out on the greatest part of life, which is your relationship with him. So here's the decision he came up with. I'm going to build not one, but two beautiful false idols, golden calves. Where did they get this idea from? Egypt. History always repeats itself, always repeats itself. So he sets up two golden calves to be worshipped with a temple, a complex, priest, everything. One in the north at Dan, and we stood in that site. And the other one in the south of Israel at a place called Bethel, where this story comes from. And he deliberately disobeyed what he knew the scripture said. And it cost him dearly. Now let's read this passage. You got your Bible? Hold your Bible up. Let me see it. Always bring a Bible with you. Verse 1 says, Now behold, there came a man of God, everyone say man of God, from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. He cried against the altar of the, by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born in the house of David. What's his name? Josiah by name. And he shall sacrifice the priest of the high places who burn incense to, on you. And human bones shall be burned on you. Then he gave a sign that same day, saying, This is a sign the Lord has given. Behold, the altar shall be split apart, and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. Now when the king, Jeroboam, heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried out against the altar in Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand and said, Seize that man! Arrest him immediately! But the hand which he stretched out began to wither and he couldn't take it back. The king said to the man of God, please entreat the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord and this is miraculous. The king's hand was restored to him and it became as it was before. Then the king said to the man of God, come home with me, refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the young man of God said, if you were to give me half of everything in your house, I would not go to you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in that place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord saying, you shall eat no bread. How much bread? No drink, how much drink? 
And don't even return by the way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Let's start off. Talks about a man of God, or I would add a woman of God. What is a man or woman of God? A man or woman of God is someone that has decided to serve the Lord. They're committed to obeying him, committed to living for him, and committed to seeing the purposes of God fulfilled in their lives and the lives of those around them. And their reputation is that they walk with the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean they all get it right. It doesn't mean they never sin. They never make mistakes. But it means, Lord, my heart is to serve you. If you want that to be said of you by your children, your grandchildren, your friends, would you hold your hand up? Lord, hear, hear our prayer. We want to be men and women of the Lord. So the young prophet was told to deliver the message and then get out of town. Deliver the message and leave. Except how much hospitality? No hospitality in this culture if you go to somebody's house. In this culture, if you take a meal with somebody, it means you approve of them. It's a very big thing. You are not to linger. You're to even go back by a different route by which you came. Now, that seems kind of strange. Why would the Lord do that? Well, God has his reasons. And I want to say to you, God always has his reasons for everything. He knows what he's doing. Now, I'm going to give a couple of reasons for this. doesn't say it in the scripture. Here's my take on it. He wanted to protect this young man from really, really dangerous influences. Did you know at your school, there are influences and people you need to stay away from? You don't need to get in that car with them. You don't need to go on a date with them. You don't need to join their club. You need to stay away from them. At work, there's influences that will get you. If you're traveling and you're a businessman or businesswoman and you travel by yourself, there are influences out there that can really, really hurt you. And you need to be very, very careful. And so the Lord was trying to protect this servant of the Lord from those influences and also to protect him from retaliation because there might be a mob that may follow him back up the road and take his life. Do you know this year? More Christians will die for their faith than any year previously. The bottom line to me is God was trying to protect his servant. And when the Lord looks at you, he wants to protect you too. He cares for you. He watches over you. And he wants to help you. You may say, Steve, what does he want to protect us from? Well, give you some examples from real danger. Do you know where this is? This is the Grand Canyon. About four years ago, Sue and I were there. And we paid, uh, I don't know, 20 bucks to go on a two-hour tour with a guide. And she told us how many people died every year at the Grand Canyon because 
They didn't follow the rules. And so we're getting this lecture standing with a fence and a boundary, and we're still 20 feet from the edge, and we look, a couple from another nation, 40 yards away, has gone over the barrier. They've gone out on a point, and the husband is holding a one-year-old baby, and there's a three-year-old toddler just walking around on the edge, and we were just going, Lord, help them. They did not understand how much danger they were in. And the Lord wants to protect you from horrible, bad choices that you will carry with you for the rest of your life. The issue is, will you let him do that? Or will you disobey his heart and his love for you? Now, Josiah is a king that's prophesied, and his name is written in this passage to show you the authority and reliability of Scripture 300 years before he was born. And he brought revival. He brought an awakening because of his godly leadership to the nation of Judah. And he even took military teams up into the north saying, we got to clean all this stuff. They're sacrificing babies. They're destroying people's lives. We've got to stop this. And so he put an end to the illegitimate worship and the illegitimate people who were deceiving and destroying people's lives by saying, you want to burn people's bones here? How about we burn yours? And he desecrated that site at Bethel. And by the way, when the young prophet spoke the curse, that altar split in two and all those hot ashes, it was probably taller than this, poured out like a ton full of hot ashes. And the pagans would use the hot ashes in worship. And now the hot ashes were desecrated. Now let's look at the next section, starting at verse number 11. Now there was an old prophet, say old prophet. He was living in Bethel. His sons came and told him all the deeds which the man of God had done that day in Bethel and the words which he had spoken to the king. These also he related to their father. Their father said to them, which way did he go? Now his sons had seen the way which the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And then he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode away. He went after the man of God, and he found him sitting under an oak tree. And he said to him, Are you the man of God from Judah? The young man said, I am. And he said, Come home with me. Come home with me and eat. Verse 16, the young man said, I cannot return with you, nor go with you, nor eat with you. Bread or drink with you. Because a command came to me from the word of the Lord and said this, you shall eat no bread, no drink. Do not return by the way you came. Look at verse 18. You ought to mark this. The old prophet said, I too am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, 
Bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. And the young man went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now this old prophet, to me, led a compromised life. Well, why would you say that, Steve? Now look at the little map. You've got the two false worship sites. You've got Dan in the north, and you've got Bethel in the south. This happens at Bethel. And the scripture says that the old man lived at Bethel. And I think he's compromised his faith by living at the very center of pagan worship. And not only did he live there, he never spoke out against it. Because his heart had grown cold and dull. Now you see that mountaintop? Last time I was in Israel, about three, four years ago, that is the site where this happened. That's the site of the golden calf worship at Bethel. There was a temple there. This is the site where the 20-year-old young man, Jacob, had to dream and the portal to heaven, and he made a commitment to serve and walk with God. We were supposed to go there. We were running late. And our bus with 40 COS people, we were going about 60 miles down the road, get, trying to get to Jerusalem before it got dark. And I saw this hill to my right, about two miles away. And I turned to my Israeli, a guide, young man named Iran. And I said, Iran, what is that hill there? He said, oh, that's you're not interested in that. That's Bethel. I went, are you kidding? We're supposed to go there. I paid money to go there. I want to go there. He said, sorry. I'll get there sooner or later. Compromise and drift never happens quickly. A person doesn't get up one day and decide, I want to be a heroin addict person doesn't get up one day and say, I want to be a pot smoker for 30 years and ruin my life. A person doesn't get up and say, I want to be a serial womanizer. They never say that. A person doesn't get up one day and say, I want to steal $500,000 from my company because I can and I'll never get caught. It starts slowly. I'm behind $500 and they'll never notice it. And the next paycheck, I'll pay it back. And they never pay it back. The issue with drift, it happens slowly and you don't even notice you lost your anchor and your ship is untied and you're adrift. Here's one of the things that bothered me this past year and this year. I think COVID came from the devil himself. It hurt all the churches. It shut down missions. It isolated families. We dealt with depression, suicide, addiction went up, marital abuse went up. The churches became more isolated and splintered. We had horrible things that went on across our nation, and I think the devil enjoyed all of it. I do believe we have an awakening and a revival coming because Jesus is still Lord. Someone say amen. He's still Lord. Our job is to be faithful and do what we can. 
But as a pastor, I've been concerned because I know there are some of my friends I may never see again. And I know a lot of my friends, they've stopped reading the Bible and they're not praying like they used to and they're not serving. If you ever stop serving Jesus by helping people, you've drifted. You've been lied to. If you're not following your call, you have drifted. And our whole nation, the body of Christ, has drifted. We need to come back. We need to get our anchor. We need to get tied up again. And what happens when you drift? You don't realize the dangers. Anybody know where this is? This is Niagara Falls. Do you know they have people die there on a regular basis because people won't follow the boundaries? This would freak me out to see a young mother allow a three-year-old climb on the boundary. And I want to say, you don't realize how much danger you're in because you found out you really like somebody at work and you enjoy spending time with them and you have coffee, then you have lunch. Before you know it, you're in trouble. You don't know how far you've drifted. And this book right here, this book is our rails of security and safety. Are you with me? Someone say, man, this is pretty good preaching for 11 o'clock. I mean... And so my quest, this is what I've thought. There's two questions here that have been so hard. I've just thought and thought and thought. The first question is, why did the old man of God lie to the young man of God? Why would he do this? Is it because he wanted to be close to somebody on fire for God? I get that. I see people and men and women of God that love Jesus more than me. I want to be close to them. I want to hang out with them. I want some of the fire to come on me. So I get that. That may be a possibility. Maybe he's, he has no significance anymore. And he wants to recapture some of his significance. And maybe that's you today. You just don't feel significant. You don't feel like you have any purpose, any drive. You don't feel like you're making any headway. Don't feel like you're walking in your calling. Maybe that's what he felt. Here's another possibility. I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe he thought he could curry favor with the new king, Jeroboam, for his sons. Because his sons are mentioned three different times in the passage. Maybe he thought if I undo what this young prophet did, maybe I and my boys and my family will be rewarded. I don't know. But whatever his motives were, They're self-serving. Are your motives ever self-serving? It's not good. And some people, that's all they have. It's about them. Honey, it's never about you, ever. And the sooner you stop thinking it's about you, the quicker you're going to do well. And his motives were self-serving, And they were extremely, extremely dangerous. So there's a trap that's been set. Everyone say trap. What do you mean a trap? Let me show you. Do you know what a trap is? The scripture says in John 10, 10, that the thief comes for one reason. And he has your number. He has your picture. You're scouted. You're known about. 
He comes at you to steal from you, to kill things in you, and to destroy you. That's what Jesus said. And this is very sad. He used the religion card. Everyone say religion card. Do you know what the religion card is? The religion card is so subtle, it is wicked, and it is so dangerous. The religious card is when somebody uses religious language to manipulate you. The great British preacher Spurgeon one time was asked, he was preaching to 20,000 people when he was about 20 years of age with no microphone. Credible, credible man. This guy came up to him, he didn't know, came up to him and said, Oh, Pastor Charles, God has visited me and told me that I'm to preach from your pulpit this next Sunday, so how about it? May I have a go? And without cracking a smile, Spurgeon said, Thank you very much, but I'll let you know when God tells me that. Your pastor has been a knucklehead a good part of my life. As a brand new believer, I was age 19. I was at Oral Roberts University, a Christian organization, and I wanted to honor the Lord with my date life. And so I would pray on a particular day, Lord, if, if I should, if it would please you for, for me to have a date this weekend, will you tell me who? Do you see where this is going? So I'm in the library one day, and I walk around the corner, and Carol, Carol's Canadian. She was like Miss Teen Toronto or something. She is a good-looking lady, and she loves Jesus. And so we kind of met there somewhere near the geography section. And your pastor was so stupid, this is what I said. Carol, it's good to see you. The Lord wants me to take you out <laughs> Friday night for a date. <laughs> she was too smart for that stupid stuff. And she said, well, Steve, thank you very much, but I think you completely missed it. I'll never go out with you. <laughs> she broke me of that foolishness. Someone say, praise the Lord. Now, why did the young prophet fall for this? Maybe he was feeling good about himself. Why? Because he had seen three miracles happen in 20 minutes, and God had used him to do the miracles. And by the way, when you are doing really well and you've had three victories, be careful. You're more vulnerable when you're successful than when you're not doing well. And he didn't know it, but he was vulnerable. Say this verse with me from Proverbs 14. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. So I want to ask you today, are you being set up? What do you mean being set up? How would you know if you're set up? Are you angry today? If you've been angry for a long time, you've been set up. 
Are you fearful? Are you struggling with lust? You're being set up. You're struggling with addiction? Being set up. Struggling with doubt? Being set up. The scripture says, our adversary prowls like a roaring lion seeking for people that he can set up. I've been set up. And throughout your life, you're going to have people come to you and tell you what they think you should do. You should come home and eat lunch with me today. That's not a good thing. And most of them are well-intentioned, good people. I would go on to say that wise counsel from godly people is an asset. If I got to make a decision, I follow a checklist. And one of them, I talk to people I really, really respect because I want to make a good call. But guess what? This young man did not. He didn't even think about it. He got tricked. He got tricked by the religious language. I saw an angel. I'm a prophet too. So he didn't question. By the way, question everything. Question this sermon. It's good. Question things. Think for yourself. He didn't pray. He just got on his donkey, turned around, and went to the old man's house and paid for it. During the meal, a weird thing happened. If you read the rest of the story, what thing happened? The Holy Spirit walked in the room. Lots of people around the table, servants, extended family members, coming to see the famous young prophet. And then the Holy Spirit visited. And oddly, why odd? Why would the Holy Spirit speak through a fallen person? And this is what the old man said. Read it today. Three verses. Read what the Holy Spirit said through this fallen man. Essentially is this. Because you disobeyed the word of the Lord, your corpse, your bones... And for a Jewish person, this is a huge deflating thing because it's about family and ancestors being together. Your bones will never see your family's resting place. The point is God can speak through anyone. He can speak through people that don't even know him. And he can speak anytime. Well, after that prophetic word, nobody was hungry anymore. Tears started running down people's faces. The young man who thought he had a long run realized this may be my last day. It's really horrible. And the old prophet without saying a word goes out to the stable and he saddles the young man's 
animal for him. You read the rest of the story today. I don't know how far it was, five miles, 500 yards, but a 500 pound lion that can run 30 miles an hour hit that young prophet, took him completely off the donkey. How quick can a 500 pound lion kill a 200 pound man? About two seconds. It was all over. To show you that somehow God was involved, the mighty brute stood beside the dead man's body with the donkey standing beside the lion. Here's the second stunningly perplexing question you need to think about. Why was the Lord so severe with his servant? Here's my take on it. The Father who is good and merciful and kind is also strict. I have noticed the longer I've walked with the Lord, the more strict he is with me. And he is more strict with his own children than people that don't even know him, people that don't even know the scriptures, people that don't even respect him. Their time is coming. If I'm in a store when my kids were young and they were disobedient, I disciplined my children. But if I saw somebody else's kids misbehaving, I left them alone because they were not my children. If they were in danger, I might intervene, but they were not my kids. Do you belong to the Lord? Did you ask him to adopt you? Did you tell him you were all in? That means he has a level of expectations on you that he doesn't have with other people in your neighborhood because you're his kids, his sons and daughters. And so you look at the story. Here's another great lesson. Partial, everyone say partial. Partial obedience is still disobedience. He did half. Maybe he did three-fourths. But he didn't complete the mission. And the Father, there's times the Lord lets us buy with stuff, but there's times the Father takes his big foot and draws his line in the sand and says, if you cross this line, it's not going to be good. And I want to say nations get to the place where God says, nation, church, if you cross this line, it's not going to be pretty. So the issue was an object lesson. It's a 60 foot by 40 foot billboard on the highway. The purpose is for the whole nation that's in trouble to see it. It's not about three people. Are you with me? Are you following me? The purpose is the nation. And so if the father could not get his servant to obey him, 
Why should the father expect a fallen nation to obey him? It wouldn't happen. So the father in his mercy had to be strict. And the message is, your decisions, the devil tells you, only affects you. They never just affect you. They affect people for 20 years. They affect people you don't even know. Your single decision can impact 100,000 people. If you obey the Lord, or you're 21, you choose not to obey him. You're 14, you choose not to obey him. You're 64 and you choose, nope, I'm gonna do things my way. Leave me alone and he will. Because our decisions impact thousands of people and here what's, here's what's scary. And some of you guys are single. Some of you never married. Some of you have no kids. One day there will be grandchildren in your family. And things you start at age 14 can impact your grandchildren. So the lion obeyed the Lord. How did the lion obey the Lord? Well, he didn't maul the, he didn't maul the body. Secondly, he didn't attack the donkey. That is not lion behavior. And the donkey obeyed the Lord because he didn't run away. Now notice the ones that obeyed the Lord are the ones that had the lowest understanding. They obeyed the Lord. And the people who knew better, they didn't under, they didn't obey the Lord. Like who? The two prophets. They didn't fully obey the Lord. They knew exactly what they were doing. And the apple of God's eye, everyone say apple of God's eye. Do you know who the apple of God's eye is? Do you know what the apple of God's eye is? It, it's, it's Hebrew symbolism. And it's like your iris is the apple of your eye. It's where you see things. You don't want anybody to poke you in the eye. You don't want any sharp instrument at your eye. And God loves his people, Israel. They are the apple of God's eye. They're called to be the nation of priests and kings to bring the rest of us Gentiles to heaven. Does that make sense? And if the apple of God's eye disobeys him, what's going to happen to the rest of us Gentiles? Point number nine. Worship team, you guys come on up, please. Look at verse number 33. So after this event, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way. Again, he made priests of the high places from among all the people. Anybody who would, he ordained to be priests of the high place. This event came, became sin to the house of Jeroboam, even to, look at the words, blot out, verse 34, blot out his family and destroy it from the face of the earth. So here's a guy who could have been a superstar. Here's a guy who had, to, had it made. Here's a guy, all he had to do, obey the Lord. Trust him for what you don't understand. Trust him and obey. Instead, he had to figure it out himself. He even got healed. He even got a miracle. And the young prophet was dead. But his words were still living. 
in everybody's hearts. Why do you say that, Steve? 36 centuries, we still have his words. And everybody in the nation of Israel remembered these words. So what did Jeroboam do? He kept right on down the highway of dumb. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't go down the highway of dumb. Tell them, tell them you've been there, bought the t-shirt, bought a condo, and you got scars all over. Don't go down the highway of dumb. He just kept going down the highway of dumb. Short rain, downfall, his whole family wiped out. And the nation. You ready for a picture? This is the most stunning picture. You ready? Artist rendering of 722 BC when the Syrians took the capital city of Samaria. They, they besieged it two years. No food, no water. Two years. And it was Jeroboam's fault. So the fear of the Lord is my conclusion. We started with the fear of the Lord. I want to end with the fear of the Lord. The scripture says, the fear of the Lord, repeat it please, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not how smart you are. It's not your IQ. It's not your education level. Do you see things from God's perspective? That's how you start life. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord means God sees everything. He sees your words. He sees your actions. And he sees your attitudes. And here's the promise. He rewards obedience. And he will punish all, not some, all disobedience. Just because you did it last week and he didn't punish you this week doesn't mean your time is not coming. So the next few minutes are the most important time of this morning. As we worship, I would ask you to come to the altar. Why would I want to come to the altar? Ask him to give you the fear of God, a healthy fear of the Lord and a hatred for evil. If you need to repent of attitudes, if you need to repent of bad choices, don't keep making the same bad choices. Repent. Walk away from it. Ask for help and serve God. This is not meant to condemn you. This is meant to give you hope. But there is no hope unless you repent. Unless you humble yourself. You don't have to be able to fix yourself or know what to do. You just start with saying, Lord, I'm a wreck. I need help. Forgive me and help me to turn and tell him you will do what he asked you to do. And if you're here today and you're 18 or 48 
and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you're just playing church, playing God. Give your heart to Jesus today, right here at this altar, and walk with him for the rest of your life. You will be glad you did. Come to the altar this morning and do business with God. Every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Above every other name 
Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
Our Savior is so kind and merciful and forgiving. Don't live in shame. Don't live in regret. Don't live in guilt. Give it all to the Lord. Let Him forgive you, heal you, and walk in joy, strength, and service. Father, I bless your people in the name of the Lord. I release faith, Lord. I release hope. I release healing and the gifts of the Spirit today. And Lord, may we serve you, not perfectly, but powerfully, with devotion for the rest of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Slip out quietly. There's people still doing business with the Lord today.